Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Oliver takes it, has a big one already. He's got room here! Isaiah Oliver cuts it back! Punter to beat! He does! He'll take it! Touchdown! Welcome in to Buff Stampede Radio, brought to you by the Blake Street Tavern. Adam Munster, Tiger Publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here as always with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we're still a week and a half away from CU football practices, but you're going out to Montana, I'm going out to Oregon, a little pre-camp vacation. So I figured we we got to squeeze this in before we get started. We've been regurgitating a lot of the same stuff, though. I'm ready for some actual practices to take place. Yeah, it'll be nice to have some actual information to base our thoughts on <laughs> so we'll see how that plays out um excited to get to my i've never been to montana so this is an exciting trip for me uh but i'm also i can't believe football is already a week away it's summer i feel like it's been absolutely flying by uh so it'd be nice to hopefully hear some pads crunching does the signs don't look promising for us so far but we'll see so yeah it sounds like as brian howell reported there's only going to be one, maybe two open practices. And if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard our rants on this before. Yeah. I guess without going too long on this, where's your frustration level with, with the lack of open practices? Oh, I mean, it's high. It just makes it impossible for us to do our job. Like, I understand that you want things to be, you know, tight under the vest and, you know, you don't want people, who anybody just be able to walk in. But, I mean... We have relationships with most of these people. We're not taking this information anywhere, and they know that. So, I mean, to have just a few open to the general public, I think, is fine. I mean, it's not how I would run things, but I understand the theory behind it. Um, but to not let the media go in and cover this team and be able to have the knowledge to do their jobs is definitely very frustrating. Mike McIntyre was quoted in a preseason magazine talking about how he got burned in the past with having open practices. But that's not from the local media, to your point there, that was burning him. Uh, it would be very easy to keep a lid on it, just only let in the people that are there on a, a yeah. regular basis and set, set some ground rules. And, sh yeah, close them up two weeks before the season opener when you start game planning. If you want to close them during the season, too, that's fine. I mean, you're mm -hmm. at that point, you're seeing week to week what they're putting, putting out there anyways. It's not right. a big deal at that point. Yeah, I mean, we've been around enough, long enough to know that there's – a handful of guys at most that show up to these things as much as they're possible. Um, they know who all of those people are. They have relationships with all those people. I don't see why. I mean, 
I, I would be shocked if McIntyre was worried about any of those people in particular. So just let them come in and do their jobs, and that'll be that. At the very minimum, weekend practice is open. Let families come right. out. And if you're going to have a more vanilla practice that week, do it on that day. I think sometimes because college football is so competitive and winning is so important that sometimes coaches lose sight of the fact that if it weren't for the fans, they would not be, they would have their jobs. College football would not mm-hmm. exist. It's the fans that drive the sport. Yeah. Uh, and throw them a bone. Throw us a bone as media that's trying to bridge the gap between the football team and the fans. Right. We're trying to bring you stories, relationships, information that keep people interested you know, create season ticket holders. Like, I'm not trying to take credit for the entire process or anything, but I think it isn't what we do is important for a lot of the fans out there who want to stay close to the team. And Neil Welk does a good job for CU Buffs, but mm-hmm. most fans want to have more, you know, opinions and right. reports, especially some that aren't coming from somebody that's employed by the university. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to have multiple thoughts. I mean, everybody watches football a different way, right? I mean, you know, it's nothing against Neil. I mean, he's obviously a great dude. He's been great to us in the past. It's just we also want to be able to do what we can for our subscriber base, too. So, yeah, we'll move on from that. And actually, we have six new additions to the commitment list to talk about, which means we get to blow the dust off our hit single here. Commitments. 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 <laughs> so Tyler, let's get your reaction. Uh, Davion Taylor, a six foot two, two hundred fifteen pound junior college linebacker from Mississippi. He's expected to play Jack linebacker, which is a little surprising given that 215-pound frame. But this is a kid that ran a 10.63 in the 100-meter dash and qualified for the junior college. I think what do they call it? The championships, the yeah, track and field championships. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, this is kind of a perfect example of what this staff is trying to do across the board. As much speed as possible. That's what you want in the Pac-12. He's a perfect example of that. He's a guy that. I've seen on a couple of different junior college ranking lists as the top three linebacker in the country in the JUCO ranks, so he's probably a little bit more highly regarded than I think some fans really understand right now. A little bit green in terms of experience, but, I mean, you can do a lot with a guy who's... I mean, that puts him as the top five fastest guy on the team. You're playing him at linebacker. There's a lot of things you can do. I think, obviously, on special teams, that gives you some advantages that you didn't have before from a guy with a bigger frame. So uh, he's going to be an interesting one to watch for me because I think he has a chance. If it clicks for him at this level, he has a chance to be a ton of fun. It's almost kind of a low-risk, high-reward potential there. Uh, Worst-case scenario, he just comes in and he's a special teams guy. But, uh, yeah, I I think you can take a flyer on a guy like them. And it's it's encouraging when you see Ole Miss uh, has offered him the the fact that they're so close to him. And with sometimes those kids in the South, you worry about them with the culture shock coming out to Boulder. But he is one of those kids, kind of like Leo Jackson said this to me too, is that he just wants to experience something else right. in life. And so he's kind of going into this knowing that it's going to be different, which is key for those kids that come from the South. Because if they come here thinking that they're not going to have to adjust their lifestyle a little bit, they're, mm-hmm. they're in for, for that culture shock. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a brand new experience, but uh, we've had a few more guys from the South in recent years. We've got a couple guys from Georgia. Um, obviously, Afo will be gone by the time he gets here, but a couple of Florida kids as well. So there's a little bit of a connection for some of these guys. Jarek Broussard uh, was another guy that committed to the Buffs recently. Versatile, compact, slot, slot back type from Texas. We got a chance to see him at CU's final summer camp. Yeah, uh, stood out right away because of the Mohawk. We were, that was a lot of discussion early on. We didn't know if he was actually competing at the camp because he walked in later than everybody else, but uh, or if it was just a guy who was an unofficial visitor who we didn't know yet. Actually, it took us a long time to find out who he was because he wasn't on the roster. Yeah. Um, but he was impressive throughout. I mean, very well built already. Um, he's obviously not a tall guy. Um, I think he's more of a running back than a wide receiver at this level based on what we saw in terms of speed. But freak gifts in terms of quickness, uh, great footwork. So he was impressive to watch in the drills, definitely. Yeah, Hagen had them doing a lot of footwork drills. Some guys were knocking over the cones, and he was just breezing through it. It was, it was yeah. pretty impressive. Deion Smith, also a versatile Texas back with speed that committed to the buffs, but he's different. He's six foot 180, so he's uh, got a longer frame. He had 10 other Power 5 offers, including Notre Dame and UCLA. These are the type of guys, as you're trying to build this program up and take that next step, these are the type of guys you want to get. Yeah, another guy with speed to burn. Um this, I mean, as bad as our special teams has been in the last few years with as much athletes as we've been bringing in these last two classes, I think there's a chance to be really special in that regard in two or three years, perhaps. Um, yeah, he's fun to watch on film. Another Texas guy. We always love to see that um, in Colorado. I think he has a chance to be a big-time running back here. Uh, more of a traditional, what we like to use as an every-down back than I guess a Jarek Broussard would be for the most part. He's going to kind of put him all over the field. But he's, um, I think they're bringing him in to be the go-to guy from this class, if I had to guess. And there's a very, very small possibility that he could even end up at cornerback, too. He's certainly got the, the size and skill set for that if they decide they need him over there instead of at running back. Daniel Arias, the wide receiver MVP at the USC camp and then also a top performer at CU and UCLA in June, joined the Buffs commitment list as well. We saw him again at that, that same camp that Broussard mm -hmm. was at. And I think he showed to be better than his national position ranking, which is 136th right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the national scouts have even said that we can expect a bump up from him. There's no way there's 135 receivers in the country better than that kid. Um, if there is, that's one hell of a recruiting year for wide receivers. Yeah. Um, very tall. Unbelievable catch radius. He's seen he's very long frame, uh, made everything really smooth, which is what you want to see from a wide receiver. Caught everything outside of his body with his hands with ease. Um, looked great in the gauntlet drills, very comfortable. That's usually a drill that really quickly separates the guys who are really talented from the ones who can't make it at this level. Uh, if you can get bigger, you know, get up, be a physical trait, maybe a guy who gets up to maybe 200 pounds or so, I think he has a chance to be very good in the Pac-12. Yeah, he's definitely thin, but... Darian Reichstraw, who's now a redshirt freshman at CU, was standing next to him at some point during the camp, and he was quite a bit skinnier than Arias mm -hmm. was. The thing that impressed me the most is that you kind of mentioned uh, how smooth he is. He waits to react on the ball until it's right there, which doesn't give the defensive back right. time to you know make a play on the ball. That, that's little qualities like that that make a guy like him really stand above uh, kind of the average high school receiver recruit, yeah. at least in my opinion. And he plays on one of the top seven-on-seven seven teams in the entire country. I'm not sure if people realize like um, FSP is very well regarded, especially on the West Coast. 
Um, so he's playing with a ton of guys that have a lot of talent in that area and obviously getting a lot of experience playing with studs. So, I mean, that's important for your development as well. Another recent commit, Delrick Abrams. And I think you could make an argument. He might be the Buffs' biggest get so far this cycle. Six two and a half, one hundred and eighty-five pound cover corner. Those guys to have the hips with that size. Those guys just don't grow on trees. They're they're hard to find, and that's the reason that other Pac-12, SEC, Big Twelve schools were after him. We talked about on our Top Buffs countdown. Isaiah Oliver could blow up and go to the NFL next year to be able to bring in a guy from the junior college ranks as talented and with the size that Abrams have. That could be a huge help for C the next two years. Definitely. I honestly think he's underrated right now. People don't realize how good he is. Um, to have those type of offers as a junior college talent is extremely rare. I think he has a chance to make a case that he could be a four-star this year. Uh, same rankings I've watched before. They have him as the top 25 Juco guy in the country right now, number three corner overall. Um, physical traits off the charts, 6'3 quarterbacks don't happen. Uh, he appears to have good speed and um Coverage skills, which you, again, don't see very often. So he fits right into what McIntyre likes to do with his secondary here. I think he is a guy that they expect to start pretty much right away. Yeah. And the other guy, Dimitri Stanley, committed on Nine News on Saturday. He's, uh, he was number five on my pre-evaluation period Colorado top ten list, which I just realized when I look back at that that i got to revise that. But he's you know top five guy in the state this year. Impressive athlete, good burst, versatile guy. Uh, well, what are your thoughts here? There, there was maybe a question when Arias committed if they were going to still have room for Stanley. Yeah, I mean, we've heard things back and forth through the grapevine that it's just kind of been an interesting commitment or uh, recruiting process, I guess, for him. It seemed like it was kind of going the way of the Mullen kids last year. We all thought we were going to have a really good chance at them, and then it just kind of faded away, and they chose to go elsewhere in the end. It, came, it kind of seemed like Stanley was going that route too, but... Ends up coming to Colorado. He's obviously a legacy, uh, good athlete. Cherry Creek has been kind of a feeder school for the Buffs the last few years, which is good to see. Uh, I personally would like to see him end up on defense. I think that's just, um, I think he has a chance to be really special, even as maybe a safety. Uh, so we'll see how he develops, but he's a really talented, athletic kid. So it's it's always good to get those guys from Colorado on, on your commit list, especially when they're worthy of playing here. And the bad news, Max Borhe from Pomona, yeah. who... You turn on his film and you just laugh because it's silly what some of the stuff he does. He changes his commitment. He's going to Washington State. Uh, I honestly think that's a good fit for his skill set. I mean, it is for sure. It definitely is a great uh, fit for his skill set. It's disappointing, though. I was He was one of my favorite kids in the class. Love watching his film. Uh, another local kid that you want to keep in town. I understand that he thinks we have too many running backs, I guess, in this class now. But I think he was kind of a – would have – carved out his own little niche among that group so it was a little disappointing to see him not want to compete uh, amongst those guys because I think there's a space for him as well I'm not sure if it's 100% over yet but if it is though he definitely found a great spot for him in terms of what he can do there uh, I, I will not be looking forward to playing against him throughout his career though because I think he has a chance to be very good yeah and it sounds like the buff signal is going to be lit up more as we continue on this summer I'd be surprised if I'm going to name off five guys, and I'd be surprised if three, if at least three of these guys are not on the Buffs commitment list by the end of the summer. Start with Khalif Hallisey. Hope I didn't uh, mispronounce his name. Khalif Hallisey, I think is how it's pronounced. He's listed as a receiver on scout, but he shined as a cornerback at CU's Sac State satellite camp. Uh, I just heard from a source that they could maybe see him committing as early as this upcoming weekend. 
Hassan Hippolyte. No relation to the rabid goldfish, from, from what I understand. Unfortunate. You just stole my favorite nickname. <laughs> you could still call him the rabid goldfish <laughs> 2.0. I guess he's got the last name at least. He's a Texas safety that visited Texas Tech last week. Is going to visit CU upcoming here in the in the next week or so, and then announce his decision in August. Evan Tattersall, he's a Granite Bay off outside linebacker that got four Pac-12 offers in June. Uh, it sounds like he might commit to the Buffs as well. L.J. Wallace, 6'3", 185-pound defensive back that said he's actually ready to commit to CU. It's basically just him getting out to visit Boulder for the first time with his family, which leads me back to a rant of why these kids these kids need to be able to take official visits in the summer months, and they will beginning next year. But L.J. Wallace doesn't have the financial resources and CU's commitment class is filling up. You'd hate to see a situation where yeah. they get other cornerbacks and then he's out left out in the cold just because he can't afford to visit. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the guys that you're mentioning on this list are DB prospects. I mean, we yeah. only have so many of those. Um, so it would be unfortunate because I actually really like him. I think he's a guy who could really help this team. Um, so it would be unfortunate if all these guys do end up coming to Colorado, he's not going to have a space by the time he can take an official visit here. Yeah. And Greg Eisworth is a JUCO safety that signed with Ole Miss out of high school, went decided to go the JUCO route, visited Iowa State in Colorado. Says he's torn between those two schools, which I think is hard for some Buffs fans to stomach that Amy yeah. Iowa is in competition with Boulder. Yes, I just drove through Iowa. I didn't, didn't get the pleasure, shall we say, of seeing Ames, but there's not a whole lot going on in that state. Yeah, it's you always hear that you don't commit to the coaches, commit to the school, but Iowa State's coaches have done a really good job recruiting Eisworth. It happens sometimes in recruiting. And if you want to keep an eye on some other guys here, uh, here's some names I'll throw out. And stay tuned to buffstampede.com because we'll have more in-depth information on these guys as they get closer to their decision. Some other guys to keep an eye on. SoCal receiver Gordon Porter, Arizona cornerback Dominique Hampton, going to visit Boulder later this month. Four-star receiver Dylan Thomas had CU among his recent favorites. American River Community College defense alignment Caleb Tremblay already took a visit to CU, has an Alabama offer. Tulsa safety commit B.J. Williamson might be visiting Boulder for the barbecue later this month. Four-star receiver Dalen Hurt had CU among his favorites. And Mesquite, Texas athlete Maurice Wren called CU his dream offer, but Arkansas since stepped up, and it sounds like they might have the, the edge, but he might visit Boulder before uh, determining where he's going to college. A lot of skill guys, and they've already got a lot of skill commits. Yeah. So, <laughs> got to start getting some beef on that defense. <laughs> definitely. We'll get into that a little bit later. We got a mailbag question there. Another football topic to talk about here is Sebastian Olver getting his visa to be able to come to Boulder for the start of camp. Uh, Looking for a minute there, like you might have to grace her because of that, but they got it sorted out. And then huge news Terrence Lang. Mike McIntyre yeah. says it's going to be good to go academically for the start of camp. That puts CU right at 85 scholarship commits for 2017. Every year right after <laughs> signing day, people freak out. We've oversigned. We're, we're gonna, the sky is falling, and then it always works itself out. It sure does. Between that and the, our, uh, why is our recruiting class trash in May, those two we just see every year. And I'm like, will you just please wait three weeks like we tell you to do every year? And then, of course, we get six commits in between our two-week podcast it's like okay guys we can relax now uh yeah so that'll be it's good to calm the nerves i guess a little bit on those on those two lang certainly looks like a pac-12 defense alignment i'll tell you he's that a much. freak my brother actually called and asked if he got in 
last week, and I was like, oh, I don't know, let me see if I can find out, and then that tweet came out the next day. Uh, he was just like, wow, that's huge for you guys. So I think he, oh man, talent-wise, he has a chance to play right away. I mean, I am kind of just over here wandering off into my dreams about watching Terrence Lang and Dante Sparacco play in the D-line together three years from now. That could be a ton of fun. Well, we heard some big guys. Playing. We heard someone on the, on the staff talk about Dante Sparacco and how he could be an NFL talent at outside linebacker. So, yeah, it's tough to say where, where he's going to end up in the future. I That person made a good point, though. You'd hate to see him switching back and forth. You want to yeah. find him – have it – him really develop into that one role. And the example he used was George Frazier, who got bounced around a lot and never seemed to be able right. to excel in one role. Yeah, I mean, and Dante's been doing that since he was 15. I mean, people forget that he kind of came onto the scene as a quarterback recruit. Yeah. Um, obviously has grown out of that since then. But he's played a ton of different positions. I think for his, yeah, for his development, it's key that they find him a spot that they really like him and put him there. Rick George had a media roundtable after the Kasadi Classic, which Dave Platty puts on every year. Got to give a shout-out to my teammates, Jason Clay, Ryan McGay, and Ryan Huff. We came in second place, which got us a nice little gift certificate. Got Sweet. a new 52-degree uh, wedge and uh, a little Greeley Country Club swag. So it was, You each you know, got one? We all got a... Okay, I was going to yeah. say, well, what do you do with one? <laughs> <laughs> a brawl over it. Yeah. Yeah. Who won? Good question. I don't know the team that won. We were just so excited that we got second and That's got a gift awesome. certificate. That, yeah. I've actually done it five years now, and I've won some type of award four times because he gives – one year was like a roller coaster award. I was par, snowman, birdie, <laughs> snowman. Like, so I get, it's cool how he does it. And actually, the person with the most eights this year on their scorecard got a signed baseball by Carlos Gonzalez. Would have been a great prize about a year ago. Yeah, he <laughs> has – been less than fun to watch so far this baseball season. He's 215 right now, isn't he? Yeah, and also grounding everything to second base or striking out on every single at bat. But anyways, back to the the media roundtable. There there really wasn't anything earth-shattering, but he did update that they've now raised $101 million in that Sustainable Excellence Initiative. Impressive. When they started that thing, no one ever thought it was possible to raise over $100 million in CU. (laughs) Uh, so pretty impressive. It, it was termed the drive to 105 at one point, but now Rick George is saying that they actually need to get up to $115 million. So it sounds like they'll of course, get it done. Of course, you always need more. Yeah. That's how it goes. Now they want to put in sound systems and stuff. Yeah. It's got to go towards that. So CU operated in the black for the third year in a row. That's kind of been Rick George's thing is being fiscally responsible. Kurt Gilbrand, who had been the head of their fundraising efforts for the Buff Club, took a job at Tennessee. Oh, so they're going to know that. Yeah, they're going to have to fill his role. Uh, they want to do that in August, obviously, before football oh, wow. season goes. I didn't know that, and I know we know Kurt because he's in it, dealing with Chris a lot at Blake Street. So yeah. that's too bad. He's a good guy. Yeah. And uh, what else there? Rick George said that uh, the fact that they're not going to have limits on multi-year contracts going forward is a game changer. We we kind of. Knew that was a big deal when it came down. I don't think it's really been something that people, I think, have been excited enough about, honestly. No, yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, It seems like a lot of things have been a little bit understated this summer because we haven't had as much access as years past. But I think maybe there's a little bit of nerves about how this season goes, too. I mean, you don't want to go right back to that 4-8 and season. I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, I think Colorado fans are a little jaded, worried that it's going to just be a one-hit wonder type of deal. 
He said they're still looking into selling naming rights for Champion Center and for the football stadium. It seems like that's been a topic for a decade now in terms of naming. I guess they want to keep Folsom Field in the name, so it would be what? Right. Frontier Airlines. Oh, God. Airline please Stadium please at, no, Frontier Airlines. At, at okay. Folsom Field. I always hate the way that they, when they do that, though. Yeah. Sports I want Southwest. That's weird, though. Southwest. Yeah, but that's just stadium. weird because we're not really in the Southwest. Yeah. So it sounds kind of strange. But please not Frontier. They're awful. They nickel and dime you, that's for sure. It's just awful. All right. Well, uh, what else there? Oh, CU's 986 APR was their best in history. And then Rick George was, talked about, was asked about kind of what their plans are for upgrading things in the future. And he brought up Bulch Fieldhouse, which is an eyesore. It has, <laughs> yeah, it's an understatement. <laughs> it has a scent to it that's not very appeas- yeah. appealing. So I think the faster you can take dynamite to that thing and do something with it, the, Dude, the better. The space is awesome. Like you could do something really cool in there, be a uh, big beer hall, I think would be a lot of fun. You could do a lot of food truck type stuff in there. I think it'd be very bolder, obviously, but... I think that could be a very interesting space to um, improve the experience at Folsom. Yeah. Rick George kind of alluded to the fact that they could maybe get some help from campus in terms of renovating that space, too, because it does kind of connect the athletic with campus. Yeah, I mean, if you're smart about the renovation, it could be beneficial to the academic side as well. I'm not sure exactly how that would make that happen, but, I mean, like a party venue space or things like that, you could do ballroom stuff in there maybe. be pretty cool. You have questions and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. We got some good questions here. After this, we'll get into uh, some fun with nicknames. We've got some suggestions for 2017 nicknames. We're going to go position by position as kind of our preseason camp preview. Hopefully we don't regurgitate too much stuff we've already talked about, but it's been a long time since spring ball. It's hard not to do that. We've got a couple basketball topics to get into as well. Let's start out here. The first question is from IRL Himmel one Which 2018 prospects do you think will play themselves into becoming a four-star recruit? And do you have any gut feeling that the Buffs might pull an unexpected recruiting win that will wow us like Bicharette and Lang? So 2018 prospects that will play themselves into becoming a four-star recruit. I'd say the most likely, well, two. I think Walker Culver has just blown up. Yeah, He's, he's a got, totally different looking prospect than he, yeah. when he committed to see Yeah, he's got... A long ways to go to be a four-star. I mean, yet he's somewhere around 100th in the tackle rankings, which is a joke at this point. I mean, with his offer list, um, you can only imagine what his offer list would look like if he was uncommitted. I mean, he's getting offers left and right, despite the fact that he's been committed to us for quite some time. Uh, which, which shows a flaw in, in the star system in the fact that yeah. you really need... He's put on, like, what, 40 pounds, and he still moves the same way. You yeah, gotta, I mean, he's got a ton of offers local to his area, a ton of ACC. I think he's got a couple SEC offers now, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, he's that. I mean, he's arguably the best recruit in this class, I think, in terms of potential. Yeah. What about Blake Stenstrom? You think he could be a potential? Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty close right now. Um, he's a guy who I think will move up. He was in the Elite 11 Finals. Obviously, didn't finish in the top 11, but there's a lot more than 11 quarterbacks that are four-stars. 
Uh, so I think at the very least he'll move up. Um, he hasn't played a ton at the varsity level, so I understand the current ranking. You know, you just haven't seen enough of him yet. But, yeah, he has a chance to do that for sure. Uh, he's going to be on the national stage. Fowler's always playing some stud squad from around the country. Um, Delrick Abrams, to me, it's a little bit tougher to be a four-star as a junior college guy, but um, definitely has the pedigree, I think, to get there. I think he's a little bit underrated right now. Um, I would have said I would have included Ray Robinson in this list, but obviously he's out for the year with the torn ACL, so it's going to be hard to expect him to move up any. But I think he was he was actually right on the cusp. I think two or three safety spots away from being a four star, so that would have been an interesting one to watch as well. I still think he's he's one of my favorite guys in the class. I think he's going to be a three year starter at CU probably if he comes back healthy. Yeah, I don't really think anybody else you could make an argument for um, in terms of four star guys. In terms of a surprising recruiting win. The first guy that popped in my head was Caleb Tremblay. He is a four-star junior college guy with Alabama, a legit Alabama offer on his list. And they need a defensive lineman like him desperately to commit in this class. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really predict a surprise guy because then it's not much of a surprise, you know. Like, we didn't know anything about Bo Bishrat and Terrence Lang at this point last year or even in November. So, um Yes, it does seem like we always seem to find a way to get one of those guys who falls through the cracks somewhere else late in the process. Um, they'll always find a spot for somebody with that much talent. So, yeah, I mean, I think the expectation is set that we'll find somebody that we really like down the stretch of close to signing day. I think Calvin Avery, a four-star defensive tackle that has a buffs in his top five, would be kind of in fall in line with that. Yeah, there, isn't there a, there's been a California DN that they seem to be talking a lot on Twitter right now. I can't okay. remember his name, too, but a guy that they were um, taking a look at pretty heavily who we haven't heard a ton about in our circles, but this the recruits seem to know who he is at the very least. Okay. GoBuffs88 asked, how many spots are left for the 2018 class, and how many more skilled position players do you think they'll take? So they're at 13 right now, so I'm going to say probably 7 or 8 more, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. There's 17 seniors. But they're gray-shirting a couple guys. They have Tony Brown transferring in in January. So I think you're going to have a hard time signing more than about 22, I think, would be the max. Yeah, I think I think probably the number that Mac would use right now, if he could, is 20. And then you'll see how it shakes out. I mean, it seems like someone always disappears during fall camp, right? So that opens up a spot for you, potentially. Um, and then things shake out during the season. Some of these guys realize, okay, um, a third-team guy now is that what I want to do or do I want to go find some playing time elsewhere? I mean, it's some of these positions where we have a lot of depth. I mean, it's hard to imagine all these wide receivers staying on, not because there's any lack of talent there. There's too much. I mean, some of these guys could easily play at the Division One level elsewhere. It's just a matter of finding space on the field. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it always seems like we think it's going to be 17 early on, and then it's 19. And it ends up being 21 or 22. That the sp- the spots always seem to develop somewhere. In terms of positions and how many more skill guys, you're only going to take another receiver if it's a, a four star elite level type guy like a Dylan Thomas, or I guess even a high star three star like Gordon, Gordon Porter. Tom- yeah, Gordon Porter. Sorry, yeah. Or Dalen Hurts. Uh, other than that, you're good at receiver. You might take a tight end. Although I think with Oliver getting his visa, if he it seems like he's going to fit in. On offense, instead of D-line, maybe you don't even need to take a tight end this cycle because you had Poplowski come in as well. Mm-hmm. You definitely need a couple more defensive backs, safety particularly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 
always always need more secondary guys. Um, although I feel like our depth is pretty good there right now. I think all the guys you see commit in the next few weeks, a couple of those guys are going to be secondary guys, so it might not be as big of a need down the stretch. We'll see. They might take another linebacker. I mentioned Evan Tattersale. Uh, aside from that, it's D-line, D-line, D-line. You have six upperclassmen defense alignment on the roster. You, they got to take at least four. Yeah, and I think we talked about the wide receiver. There might be a spot for a stud. I think the offensive line is kind of in the same boat. They're done there unless they can get a guy they really, really like. And that segues us into our next question here from Mr. Gator 99. On the recruiting front, what is our situation with defensive line recruiting, and do you see us being able to land some solid players there in this class? I'll kind of throw a question to you, Tyler, too, and, and how concerned are you with D-line recruiting right now and the fact that, aside from Tremblay, there is not a whole lot of buzz with top recruits, uh, you know, top defensive line recruits? Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely is seeming a bit slow again last year. Um but I think last year we talked about how bad the D-line recruiting was in some cases as well. And I look back on it now, and we have Javier Edwards, we have Terrence Lang, who's going to be on campus, and we have Dante Sparaka, who might end up in that outside D end spot as well. I mean, those are three guys who I absolutely expect to start multiple years here. So um, sometimes it kind of sneaks up on you. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they obviously you always need to have more depth there, and they haven't really popped up with a lot of names yet, but I mean, sometimes things develop during the season, so we'll see how it goes. I'm blanking on his name right now, but there was the defense lineman from the East Coast. Oh yeah, the, uh, that the prep was school. Camp. Um, but he, it looked like he had a pretty solid frame. Yeah, he was. He measured in bigger than I thought, honestly. But they they really liked his athleticism. God, what is his name? He was from Avon Lake. Casey Rogers. Casey Rogers. Yes, six four two forty from Syracuse, New York, going to Old Farms, like you'd mentioned. He's got a lot of schools. Penn State it was a school, Boston College, um, West Virginia. They basically all told him, we just want to see one game. CU's apparently right. going to send a, an assistant, maybe Jeff, go out to see his first game. So that's another guy to keep yeah. an eye on. But not there just aren't a whole lot of blue-chip guys on the yeah, D-line right Calvin now. Yeah, Avery, see. but it didn't seem like the chances of that were extremely high, I guess, if I had to yeah. put a number on it right now. S. McDowell2874 has a question for you, Tyler. When is your brother going to bolt from USC and head recruiting at CU? Well, my suggestion to you, sir, would be to send in a heavy donation that is specifically responsible for improving the recruiting budget at Colorado, and then you might have a chance. <laughs> he, uh, USC, let's just put it this way, is a different breed um, in terms of what they do there. Um, he's very comfortable right now, shall we say? Yeah. Um, he does love it there. I think. He, I mean, his wife loves Colorado. I think if there was ever to be a time where he needed to look for something, he would love it here. But I mean, USC. He cares about USC probably more than I care about CU. So, <laughs> if you know anything about that, um, he, he's pretty big into it. He loves that job. He loves the staff, and he loves the guys out there. So, I don't think he's actively looking. You know, if we're going to be honest, but yeah, I mean, if the time comes, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and it would be a lot of fun for me obviously on a personal level, if that were to somehow happen. Dorn09 asked, your reaction to training table being taken away? So this, I, I think people are misinterpreting mm. this situation. I think Rick George could have done a better job of kind of clarifying. <laughs> They're basically finding a loophole, basically, to give these guys more money in their stipend. Right. Because their snack, as I posted on our message board, is 
better than 95% of the meals that I have. It's like a buffet style. There's lots of options. Mm-hmm. They're extending the hours so now that they can yeah, get food at, at different times. It just takes not as much money off of their stipend every single week. So I think it's actually honestly an improvement from what yeah. they had in the past. It seems like the players were obviously freaking out because they didn't understand. But now that I think it's kind of been explained, I think it'll end up being beneficial to them. Yeah. And Laura Anderson is very into her job as a nutritionist. If she didn't think this was going to work, she yeah. would not let this fly. I mm-hmm. guarantee you that. TKH11 asked, is there any indication the press might have more access than what was announced to the public for fall practices? Sadly, no. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. no. We're going to have to kick some tires. Yeah. It's it's a bummer, man. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just buy one of those cranes, just sit outside practice and see if anyone has the ability to come and get us down. What about a drone? We can yeah. all pitch in and get a drone. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, we can just go fly it in the drone racing league on ESPN2. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> all right. Next question here from Oli Buff. What are your early red trip predictions for the 2017 class? And actually, S. McDowell2874 had a question that I'm going to throw in with this topic. He asked, fortunately... We don't have to rely on too many freshmen playing early. That being said, which freshmen, which each of you pick to have the biggest impact this season? So one's asking about red shirts. The other's asking about players they're going to play right away. So I think yeah. it kind of goes together here. Yeah, well, easier to just talk about who we think is going to play because most yeah. of the class, I think, is probably going to redshirt. I'll let you lead off here. Well, Don, we talked about them a couple times already on the show. Dante Sparacco and Terrence Lang, I think, both have a chance to play pretty much right away. Um at linebacker, I think one of your inside guys is probably going to be asked to play right away. Um, I actually heard that two of those inside backers between Van Deese, Landman, and Carson Wells are expected to play this year. Yeah, and well, and beyond those three, you, who's the other Cali guy? Chase Newman. Yeah, he's an outside more guy. Than outside. Yeah. They think he's going to... Buff backer, maybe? Okay. Yeah, so yeah, they think one of those guys you're definitely going to have to see play. Um, offensively, I mean, Katie Nixon, primarily on special teams, maybe. Um, I, I even don't think LaVisca Chenault is going to play this year at yeah, this point. I think physically they bring a skill set that could be used, but just because of the depth you have there, wouldn't you rather separate those guys mm-hmm. from all those upperclassmen? Yeah, I mean, I think that the LaVisca Chenault, Johnny Huntley thing could be interesting. I think they'd like to redshirt Huntley, too. I mean, I think they want to redshirt Huntley and maybe even see if he can put on some weight and be a tight end down the road. Right. So do you, can you redshirt both of those guys? I mean, yes, you can, but do you want to? I mean, if, is LaVisca better than him right away? We don't know yet um, how that's going to shake out. So there's not a ton of offensive guys that I expect to play at all. Maybe Jared um, Poplowski? Maybe. I mean, yeah. It's I tough mean, to say. We'll answer this question a lot. pretty impressive. Yeah, it'll be easier to answer this in two, three weeks once they've practiced a little yeah. bit. The one guy we haven't mentioned that I think they need to play as a true freshman is their 40-year-old. <laughs> James Stephanot. Thir- not 40-year-old. 30-year-old plays. He's going to get Stephanot. wind of that and be very irritated with you. <laughs> it's just like one of those things you start to exaggerate. Before he gets out of here, he's going to be 70-year-old. So kicker. I like this trend. Because now I want, like, they got to get someone older every year. So by, by like, 2030, we're just going to have some 78-year-old former soccer player out here. Just (laughs) But he's got to start, right? I mean, ideally. You can't run out the man bun. 
You can't I mean, do it. I'm down with Davis Price. I think he's fine if he's healthy. But uh, yes, you would like to see Stefano win the job. I think. It's funny. People are starved for a talented place kicker. He has one Instagram kick. And it's it's only like what like a forty yard. Yeah. It's not even that impressive, but people are just so starved. Yeah, like God. For, I mean, I'm pretty sure that all of our kickers could, you know, eventually put one through the uprights and post it on Instagram. I'm not sure it means much. The ball um, actually pops off Chris Graham's foot in practice. It's been the game consistency that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're even starved for a talented kicker. I think they just want someone to put the ball through the uprights on occasion. Doesn't seem like too much to ask. I've said this uh, on Michael Clark's show that they're going to be in a lot of close Pac-12 games this year. That kicker could be the difference in a couple games. I know last year it wasn't as disastrous as we thought it was going to be, but I always point to that Stanford game. That's not happening. A 10-5 game is not happening again this year. No, I would be very shocked. (laughs) Husk this Nebraska asked, Why are pundits praising CSU as a vastly improved team? I realize that after playing us last year, they had some success in the Mountain West, but when they typically play Power 5 teams, they get rocked, the Gophers being the exception. Do you guys see this as a close game? I would take us at minus 17. Thanks. So much of preseason expectations are based on what you bring back, and the Rams bring back a ton from last year. Mm -hmm. And they were a seven-win team. Take away what happened in the bowl game, take away what happened against CSU, Nick Stevens is a good quarterback. They've got a great receiver. All-conference center coming back. All three of their backs back. And most most of their defense back. I certainly get why people expect them to be quite a bit better. I'm just going to say husk this question because I really don't like to talk about CSU on my own time. Um, just kidding. Husk this Nebraska. You're a good guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, we They typically get rocked, but they don't, right? I mean, most of their games with us are fairly close. If we're being honest, last year obviously was a disaster for them. Um, I really like their offense. They definitely do have a ton of offensive talent. Their defense is atrocious, which leads me to believe that we should be fine in this game because our offense is decidedly not atrocious. So I can't imagine them being able to stop us, but you never know. I mean, this game always finds a way to somehow keep it close, it seems like. Um, I I get that we just want to put them down and say that they're not any good all the time, but I mean... They're a pretty good mid-major level program. Uh, they've had a lot of bowl success in the last few years, and their offense is going to be one of the best in outside of the Power Five this season. So I, I understand why people think they're going to be pretty good. I don't bet for or against you, but if you put a gun to my head and there was a, he said he'd take minus seventeen. Yeah, no, you're taking those points. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably take seventeen too. I mean, would it surprise me? I guess if we won by more than seventeen, I probably not. Um, but I mean, I say I would say a greater than fifty percent chance this game is within seventeen points. If I had to say right now, I did look it up. There's an offshore site that has it CU minus seven and a half mm-hmm. right now, which owns I think seven and a half, eight and a half. If I had to make a prediction right now, I'd probably pick CU to win by ten. Right? Yeah, I think we probably cover that. But I mean, you just never know. I mean, football is a funny game, man. Like one play can really swing. You know, it can go from a seventeen point game to a three point game pretty quickly. And the end result. So, um, I mean, obviously, the goal is just to win. But, you know, I, I think we're a better team. I think we have more talent. Uh, I think we're going to be much bigger. But you just never know. They have a game under their belt before us, which I think is really important, too. So, If 
CU fans just want to see Ryan Null just destroy that defense <laughs> as much as possible in that first game, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's what you expect to happen, right? I mean, CSU's defense isn't expected to be very good. They're pretty small on the D-line. And Oregon State can run the hell out of the football. So I think you're going to expect them to walk into that stadium and see if they can just absolutely dominate them physically. Because uh, CSU's going to be able to score points. There's no doubt. They're not obviously playing in their new stadium for the Rocky Mountain Showdown, but I think there is some energy of buzz that can really benefit a program when you have like we saw we see you with the new facilities yeah i mean they have the most season tickets sold that they've ever had in their program's history right now um honestly think that's good for the rivalry it seems like a lot of the time cs there's a lot of casual csu fans who just don't really care uh which is disappointing because it, it people don't want to call it a rivalry but it's the best thing we've got right now um and it would be a lot more fun if that game was sold out every year and it never is and that's kind of a bummer we actually got a basketball question here from C. Bardeen. Is McKinley Wright the real deal? Will he end up as a starter at point guard this season? Will he and the other young guns get the buffs to postseason this year? I left. I only got to see one practice. They did two preseason summer practices. I saw one of them. My main takeaway as I left that practice was it's not a question of if but when McKinley Wright becomes his team's starting point guard. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see him yet, but from a lot of the people I trust that watch this team and guys who used to play for this program, he's the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which doesn't really surprise me. I was hyped when we got him. He's perfect for what Tap Boy wants to do. And anybody that Archie Miller wants to play basketball for his program, I want him to. So it was really as simple as that. Uh, very physical defender. Guy who's going to have to, his shot needs to improve, I think, over time. But point guard instincts are off the charts, and that's exactly what this program needs. In terms of making the postseason this year, I think that's probably unrealistic. Um, most of the time, freshman-heavy teams aren't that good um, unless you have lottery picks. None of these guys are lottery picks, if we're going to be honest about it. But I think the program is, once again, headed in the right direction. I think this team, two or three years, or one or two years from now, um, two or three, when they're sophomores or juniors, I think is going to have a chance to be extremely, extremely good. I think those freshmen are talented enough that they could – be 500 to get in, into the NIT, especially if George King really starts playing a little bit more consistently. That just doesn't get you into the NIT anymore, though. That's the problem. I okay. mean, and, it's, and the Pac-12 is going to be a down conference this year. You're, I would be surprised. Usually you have to win 20 if you're a power conference team to get into the NIT these days, or at least 18 or 19, and you got to play in a really good conference. Like you you got to be playing one of the best schedules in the country if you're going to do that, and the Pac-12 is not going to be that this year, so... I would be surprised. I mean, it'd be awesome, obviously, but I think this year is going to be more of a preparing for the future type situation. And we know Tad Boyle is not taking this team to the CBI again. No, yeah, I don't think so. Although maybe with the freshmen, he'll have a different approach to it. I'm not sure. But yeah, I would be surprised. Let's talk nicknames here. We got some suggestions from fans on the Stampede Elite message board towards nicknames they feel should be attached to guys that are on the 2017 team. I started thinking back to my favorite CU nicknames, and there's a few. I'll see if, if I'm forgetting any here, but Rabbit Goldfish we mentioned earlier in the show. That's number one. It's it's so random. Yeah, that's why it it's so awesome. T-shirt craze. Rabbit Goldfish was the best ever. Um, I'll just throw in. It was not really a nickname so much as I just brought a sign to all the games when I was younger and in college that just said "Hungry Hungry Hippolyte." That's good. And he pulled it off his senior day. He took it from me, home with him. 
Like he had a, one of my buddies who played, he's my boy from high school, Ethan Atkins. Had him come up into the stands and grab it for him. From That's me. awesome. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. So not really a nickname, but something that I always used to call him. You got to go way back. Byron Wizard White. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it says that on his retirement placard, it doesn't does. it, in the stadium? Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> what about uh, Ginger Fury, which was B.J. Beatty? B.J. Beatty, yeah. B.J. Beatty was, man, for people who are too young, and he wasn't quite good enough that people from this era know who he was, you know, but I think he's still playing in Japan. And he was one hell of an entertaining guy to watch play he football, was. man. One of my favorites ever. And just a downright weird kid in life. Yeah, like he used to. We used to just have him. He would be driving around in a pickup truck on campus while he wouldn't be driving, but someone else would just in the back playing the ukulele down the streets. <laughs> man, oh man, he was a great kid. I think some people called him the Red Menace too. Wasn't that a thing? Yeah, that sounds right. This wasn't his nickname until he got in the NFL, and, and Chris Berman gave him this. But Eric sleeping with Bienemy is an all-time. Great <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You hadn't heard that, that is, one? No, that's amazing, though. That's very Chris Berman, definitely. Yeah. What about J-Bo Swaggin' Baggins? <laughs> J-Mac, yeah. <laughs> J-Bo Swaggin' Baggins. And he, he told amazing. me the story behind it is the other receivers were giving him flack that he has no swag, so yeah. you just try to flip it on his head. Yeah, well, it worked out because that nickname is hilarious. It is. Um, mine's basketball-related. Chauncey Big Shot. Yep, that's uh, good. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Tasmanian um, Devil, of course, Philip Lindsay. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'm not going to tell you what my nickname for Rick Gambo is because it's very not safe for work. But use your imagination. I'm sure you could come up with it. It's pretty funny. Basketball, <laughs> what about Jelly for Josh Scott? Just because of the yeah. story that came along with those. Yeah, random... I mean, in the moment it was amazing. No one actually really called him that, you know, I feel like. But it was hilarious that that was the nickname for it. Was that his freshman year? It was, yep. Oh, man, that guy, he had an eye for talent, I'll tell you what. The mayor for Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, that, the mayor was awesome. Uh, let's see here. Speedy Stewart. That was a good one. Yeah. Bad Thad for Thaddeus Washington. Oh, yeah, Washington. Thaddeus Washington. He was, he was a senior my freshman year on campus, and I really loved watching him play. He was a lot of fun. I don't think Lawrence Vickers has a nickname, which is, I mean, they just called him LB47. Yeah. But he deserves a nickname because he was awesome. Do you know what they call Kyle Evans? No. Chocolate Drop. Chocolate Drop. Yeah, I did know that. Because he's 22 Jocko Drop, isn't he? Isn't yep, that his Twitter yep. handle? Yeah. Jay Fly for Josh Smith, of course. Scooter Fernandez was a good one. Big Play Shay. Uh, actually, Snoop Dogg gave Shea Fields the nickname Candy Cane when he was a youth player. <laughs> I was I reminded love, of that on Twitter. I love right? Snoop Dogg. Yeah. And let's not forget Espinosa Island. Oh, my God. A slot receiver forced into playing defensive back due to injuries. He picks off Matt Barkley. Dude, he, yeah, he, Nick when he picked off Matt back Barkley is one of my one of my favorite memories in college sports history. That was so amazing. Had some good uh, name shortening nicknames: P. Rich, Cheeto, B. Jax, T. Wheat, D. Webb. Yeah, well, D. Webb was really Webstar because that's had, right because yeah. he had the the hip hop group swag. and yeah, Colorado swag. Yeah, people still play that occasionally. I hear it randomly. All right, so that's – am I forgetting any good nicknames? I don't, I don't think so. I'm right. sure we are. But there, There's always good ones out there. So we had some suggestions here from, from fans for the 2017 squad. I'm scared. Dorno9, he said the tight end group should be the milk carton men until they are part of the <laughs> plan. 
Well, I Jesus. mean, Sean Irwin was out there a ton just as a blocker. <laughs> yeah. So. Come on, they're supposed to be funny. Don't be hating on the boys. Sandbuff, uh, he suggests Javier Betholith Edwards. A Betholith is a large, gigantic body, immovable. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, though. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I have no idea if that's even how it's pronounced. Betholith, I think, is, Betholith? Maybe, okay. I think is maybe how it is. Bryce but. Winnie suggests Big Sexy for Javier Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, his his name is forever three sexy. <laughs> that somebody uh, beat to the offs suggested that. Dude, three just three sexy was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. I'm down for that forever. Hus this Nebraska wants Javier Big Vinegar Edwards. He says uh, he's a behemoth who leaves a succinct, miserable taste in your mouth after, <laughs> after he mows you down. <laughs> oh, well, that was creative. I liked the I liked the reasoning behind it. I was like, what does Big Vinegar mean? I actually thought of this one and beat to the off suggested it. Mount Edwards for Javier. Very yeah. Colorado theme. Very similar, but definitely Colorado. He says El Paso Pistol or El pa- Paso Pistola for Steven Montez. <laughs> El Paso Pistola. <laughs> <laughs> and oh he suggested God. Big Red for Jared Coe. And then 663 Bam came in and said, you can't call a buff Big Red. It's just that simple. I probably agree with that. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, let's see here. What other ones? Uh, BTVF's Rick Rocky Gamboa. I like that. <laughs> Mine's better. I'll tell you what it is off the air. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Do we have any more? He says Professor Moeller. What about the just the rifle for Ryan Moeller? He's from Rifle. Yeah, Rifle. That's good. I mean, that's kind of how he plays. Reckless Abandon. Bryce Winnie actually reached out to Ryan Moeller. And he provided some suggestions. One of them was White Lightning. We already had a White Lightning. That was, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. He didn't end up, he was a two-star guy that never even ended up playing for CU. They called him White Lightning. Why am I blanking on his name? I don't know who that was, but that just reminds me of Red Lightning, that guy, who, the sideline ball boy for, I think it was Florida State. Okay. Who, who like, broke the internet for being as fast as, he's like a fat redhead. That was just running down the sidelines as fast as the players. That's amazing. Yeah. 663 Bam offered up Spider-Man for Bryce Bobo. That one's not bad. Were you uh, missing any obvious nicknames here? I don't think so. I'm bad at the nicknames. They just come to me when I'm watching the game totally sober. That's when I come up with my best nicknames. All right. (laughs) Let's do a little bit of a camp preview here since we are calling this our camp preview. And let's just go position by position, Tyler. We'll do some depth chart predictions. Quarterback, obviously, Steve Montez, one. Sam Neuer, two. Mm-hmm. You'd like to see them be able to redshirt Tyler Lytle. With Steve Montez in particular, the biggest thing that Brian Lindgren told me he wanted to see him improve on was as he's walking up to the line of scrimmage, even though they're going up tempo, is being able to diagnose defenses really quickly. He thinks mm-hmm. that's the key to him really taking that next step as a quarterback. Yeah, I think that's what you missed the most with Cepho last year is really the offense is always clicking in the right gears when he was out there. Montez, it seems a little more – panicky is the wrong word, but it was just a little disjointed, I guess. Um, so he's it's part of being a leader, right? I'm um, just having a full grasp of the offense, getting everybody in the right position and moving it along as quick as possible. I think that for me and, and also just having consistent mechanics – especially with his footwork, you can't be throwing off your back foot at the college level and be successful consistently. If he throws the right way every time, he has a chance to be really, really special. 
but I mean you can't you can't just roll roll out there and throw fit, you know lobs basically and pray for the best. Worst case scenario, Montez goes down, Neuer goes down. Do you roll with Casey Marksberry or do you burn Tyler Lytle's retro? I guess it depends where you are in the year. I mean, if it's game three, you probably just roll with Marksberry because I don't. I mean, I don't think either of those guys are bringing you a bowl game, so you're just thinking future, long term. Um. We'll see how it plays out. I guess I, I don't really, <laughs> I, I don't think that will happen. Um, yeah, I guess Marksberry is the only other real candidate at this point. Yeah. You said at dinner top buffs countdown, you actually feel more comfortable about Sam Neuer as a backup going into this year than you did with Montez last yeah. year. That's quite a statement. Yeah, it's true. I, I just think Montez is a guy who's very physically gifted, um, but I wasn't getting thrown into the fire Maybe not necessarily the best thing for him. Uh, he has a lot to hone in, I guess, in terms of being consistent. Um, Sam Neuer, though, is the total opposite. Not a guy who's going to wow you physically. Um, very accurate thrower, though, and seems to have a really great understanding of the offense. Um, I think if he was asked to go into the game, you're running a different style of offense to cater to his strengths, I think, a little bit. But uh, I feel very comfortable that he would be poised in there as soon as he came into the game. I had a similar impression of Neuer when I kind of mentioned that to Lindgren. He said that Neuer is actually faster than Montez in a straight line. Oh, yeah. He's yeah more athletic for sure. But, I mean, just in terms of the throws that he can make on the field, uh, Montez obviously is going to provide more for you there. Yeah. All right, running back. We know Philip Lindsay's the top guy there as long as he stays healthy. But it doesn't sound like Kyle Evans is going to be ready to go for that season opener, which opens the door for a Michael Atkins or Donovan Lee or even a Bo Bisher. Who do you project? I know you've sold your stock on Michael Atkins. But. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I think they'll give him the first crack at it probably just because talent-wise, I mean, he's definitely the best. It's just a matter of how long is he going to stay healthy. Um, he's gotten hurt in the opener, it seems like, every year of his career so far. Um, Bo Bishrat will be used situationally, I think, as well. Um, Donovan Lee, maybe occasionally, but they seem to have moved on from that a little bit. Um, yeah, if Kyle Evans isn't ready, there you're going to see a lot of Phil Lindsay. But I mean, you you know that Phil's down for that, so we'll see how it plays out. For Kyle Evans, the key is getting back to 100% for next year. It's crazy to 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 say this, but given that he's a former walk-on, but he could be your starting running back next year in 2018. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, he's yeah, he's, he was a former walk-on, but guys have done that before at the college level. And he's small, but I mean, you, we've watched him play enough now that you, I mean, he's he belongs out there for sure. I'm really anxious. He's not a guy that people talk about a lot, but Alex Fontenot had schools like Baylor come in late on him. We're not talking a whole lot about him coming as a running back. I would expect him to redshirt, given that you have. Michael Atkins, Donovan Lee, senior guys there, but he's another important piece for, potentially for the future. Definitely. I mean, he's an all-around back guy. I think. I mean, I know the staff was kind of talking to us last year about how they feel like he's pretty underrated. Um, they really, really liked him. They think he's going to be a stud. I don't think you want to play him this year unless he really shines in camp and you, know, you can't just keep him off the field. But, uh, yeah, go, moving forward, I think he's a guy that you're going to consider to be a starter, maybe not this next year, but the year after that for sure. Moving along to receiver, Shea Fields, Devin Ross, Bryce Bobo, all returning senior starters there. 
Jay McIntyre as well. He started in more than half their games as mm. that second slot guy out there. Jawan Winfrey joins the mix. Lee Walker had a good spring. KB Ento was spectacular this spring. Yeah. Ray Kestraw, Johnny Huntley. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. an embarrassment of riches there. I mean, it's just hard to really say which of these guys are going to get snaps, but I think the top five is pretty established. Um, I guess Jay McIntyre thrown in there as well, so top six. Um, those are the guys that you're going to see take up a majority of those snaps. If it was your call, does KB on Into redshirt or play this season? Um, he redshirts, uh, but it's you know it's I understand it being a tough decision for him. I mean, he's obviously got to be on board for the staff. Though. I mean, he's going to start next year if he redshirts. I can pretty much guarantee you that. So uh, if he wants to get more college experience before he heads off and tries to make the NFL, that's one thing. But I mean, I get it's tough to redshirt going into your senior year. So. It'll be interesting to see how that situation is handled. But if it, if he tells me he's cool with it, um, I think it's best for the program if he redshirts this year. Katie Nixon and LaVisca Chenault, both four-star guys coming in. Very unique skills, stuff you don't really – we haven't seen in a lot of true freshmen coming into campus. How good do they need to be during camp for you to go, okay, let's put them out there they can help. Or could they be amazing and you still want a redshirt to separate them? Um, KD, I think, is the one that is more likely to play for me as a potential returner. Um, I also think they could use him in the backfield in a pinch if they needed to, so he's a little more versatile in that role. That could be kind of interesting. If they, if they need some running back depth, do they throw him back there and give him some packages? Uh, he did that a little bit in high school as well. LaVisca, I mean, he's going to have to be, man. At, so if they redshirt Ento, he's going to have to basically be in that, is he the fifth best wide receiver on the team right away? If he's that good, you play him, I think. Okay. With Katie Nixon and Ronnie Blackman, you, you're going to see between one of those two guys, you're going to see some exciting stuff from a punt yeah. returner. Yeah, and maybe kick returner too. I, I don't think so much with Blackman, but Katie's thick enough that he could probably handle that role. Um, yeah, I, I think you finally feel good about your talent at that punt return position last year, obviously we did um, as well, but now it's, you really have that. Like if someone, something goes wrong, you have backup options that you're reliable. On. I don't think they want Isaiah Oliford returning punts being your number one corner this year. There's a source that I hold in high esteem that told me he thinks Maurice Bell was their best receiver signing too. Less like we haven't even mentioned him yet or Jalen Brown, or I'm sorry, Jalen Jackson, who was on campus for spring ball. Yeah, I mean, Darren Cheverini's earning his paycheck. There's a, uh, yeah, too bad you can't play eight wide receivers. <laughs> Good luck guarding that formation. Fullback tight ends group. You've got a new guy there, Eddie Lopez. That should be an interesting preseason camp experiment because I don't think he was going to see the field as a defense alignment. Just didn't seem to have that mentality that you need to be successful on the, especially as a three a three down set where you got to be really aggressive, hold on blockers. Uh, so they're trying to find a role for him. Dylan yeah. Keeney and Chris Bounds are the other guys there returning. Yeah, Keeney's getting bigger and bigger. It looks more and more like a tight end every year. I really like Chris Bounds. I've talked about him a lot. I think he has a chance to be a Sean Irwin type of guy for them. Um, he's probably going to be your starter, I would think, going into camp this year. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a group that we don't expect a whole lot from overall, I don't think. But they just got to do their job. I mean, that's what makes football teams hum. 
I mean, you do what you're expected to do on the field, and you don't necessarily get all the accolades from that group in our, in this offense. But, uh, you know, it's important for the run-blocking scheme at the very least. Jared Poplowski, Sebastian Oliver joined that mix. I don't have George Frazier with this group because he spent more of spring on the D-line. Where would you prefer to see George Frazier? Well, I mean, if he's playing as well as he can, he was really good at on the offensive side of the ball early on in camp. But, I mean, he was also pretty good in spot minutes as a D-lineman, and I think they need him more there, honestly, at this point. They didn't – it just didn't work out offensively, I guess, last year. You almost kind of have to stick him on the D-line and tell him this is your job now. Um, seems like social media stuff, he's been hanging out with all the D-line guys. It seems like that's the goal is to get him playing D-line exclusively this year. Uh, and they need the depth. He's – Huge frame. I mean, he has a chance to be successful there, I think. So, see how it plays out for him. It's kind of sad that, you know, he just never really found that role. Maybe it could happen this year for him. Who knows? Yeah. On the offensive line, left tackle Jeremy Irwin, left guard Jared Coe, center Jonathan Huckins. Those three guys from the middle to your left are all seniors. You'll love to see that. And then your guys on your right side are your bright and up-and-coming guys at right guard, Timmy Lenat Jr., right guard, Aaron Hagler. This is the best offensive lineman CU's had in a long time. Yeah, since probably I was um, on campus in college, that, that offensive line had some pretty good team uh, groups back in the mid-2000s. Um, yeah, this you have to – I mean, if they're not successful this year, there's something wrong because, I mean, all these guys have had successes on their classmen, the senior group. Um, you have an All-American, obviously, in Timmy Lai, not freshman All-American. And then a guy who has a chance to be, I think, an early-round pick uh, as he develops in Aaron Angler uh, if he's able to get over 300 comfortably. So, for me, there's not really a lot of holes on this offensive line if they stay healthy. Should give Philip Lindsay uh, a, lot of, a lot of room to work with this year. So, a tackle goes down. Who's your first? How do you reshuffle? An interior guy goes down. How do you reshuffle? Who's the guy that comes in off the you bench? Pro- uh, Isaac Miller. I think is what you'd like to see ideally um, move into left tackle. Either Irwin slides inside to fix that guard position or he's replacing whichever of the tackles is injured. Okay. And then interior? Is it Josh it's, Kaiser or somebody else? Well, I think they're probably going to slide Jeremy Irwin in. And then okay. you're putting Isaac Miller at left tackle. Gotcha. But, I mean, if you if you want an interior guard, yeah, I would say Kaiser is probably your first guy off the board right now, assuming Jake Moretti's not going to be ready to play this year, which from what we've heard, that's unlikely. A wild card there is Brett Tons move over from the D-line. It sounded like he was pretty solid in his first spring really playing offensive line. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has the physical strength and one of the stronger guys on the team. And we'll see. There's other guys, younger guys, Dylan Middlemiss, Hunter Vaughn, uh, Colby Purcell, Chance Lytle, a couple guys at Gracier last year. Uh, we'll see who kind of rises there. I've heard good things about Colby Purcell down the line. Now he's still got to put in some work. He's not physically ready to play at this level. And all those two freshmen, you mentioned Moretti. Uh, Grant Pauley was really highly regarded. William Sherman had a lot of other Pac-12 or yep. Power 5 options. Heston Page, more of kind of a sleeper variety, but he yeah. has a really good yeah. work ethic. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's rare for those, especially true freshmen, to be able to play right away so that you – you almost don't want to see that happen because it means the depth isn't what it should be in terms of um, you know other guys that are just more ready to play because they're an adult. You know, it's it's tough to put an eighteen year old kid out there in a college offensive line and say guard this twenty two year old two hundred and eighty pound guy standing across from you. Make sure he doesn't get to the quarterback. That's a tough task. So 
I mean, I think long-term those guys have a ton of potential, but if if one of them is playing as your first backup, that's not great for our depth I, in the perception of what this offensive line is, I don't think. Moving over to the defensive line at nose tackle, of course, Javier Edwards, who uh, everyone uh, wants to give a nickname to, is expected to step in there as a starter. Big snack. How about that for a nickname? <laughs> so how much better shape can you get from the end of spring ball to camp? A ton. I mean, especially when you're that size. It's, all, it's so much easier as a huge person to lose weight, obviously. Um, and he's been here, I mean, six months now. You know, he's got another three or four to go, I guess. Or not really, two two to go till the season starts. Um, so he can, he can, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's like a breath of physical fitness or anything, but he might be able to play 60% of the snaps or 50 to 60% of the snaps, which is what you want. I mean, you can get him out, out of off the field in third down situations, and that's obviously third and short, um, stuff like that, play a little more athletic guy inside. Florida, Arkansas wanted him. Can he be as productive as Josh Tupo was last year, or is that no. unrealistic? Yeah, that's unrealistic, I think. I mean, Josh Tupo was a stud. I, I think maybe by the time he's a senior, the potential is there. I think you just want him to be a guy that is take, eating up blockers. Let other people do their job. Uh, what Josh Tupo did is rare, I think. Lyle Tuiloma was one of the top two most improved defensive linemen, according to the coaches. He could see some snaps in there as a backup. And then mm-hmm. we've seen Jace Frankie expand himself a little bit, move around to the different defensive line spots. But I still think he's a guy you can use at nose tackle on those third down mm-hmm. passing situations. Definitely. Yeah, obviously Leo Jackson, you're going to see a ton of him out there. Um, Tim, Tim Coleman, Coleman. Yep. yeah, is a guy that's going to play a ton of snaps. Obviously, you mentioned Frankie. Those are the guys I think you'll see the most on the D-line. Chris Malumba seemed like he had some getting used to this level to do. Does he have a redshirt? Uh, Chris Malumba does not. He okay. redshirted last so year, he's, So he's probably going to play, you know? I mean, Not a whole lot, I don't him. think. Yeah, so we'll see if he kind of gets more comfortable as the year goes on, but... Guy, you're forgetting that Frank Umu is, is the yeah, other Frank, yeah, most improved Frank, defensive yeah, Frank Umu is going to probably play a good amount of snaps, and then you obviously have, we'll see if this end up putting Sparocco in the dirt or outside linebacker. I think he has a chance to play this year as well, along with Terrence Lane. Tariq Roberts, another guy that might be a, a year away, mm-hmm. but is going to be somebody that plays for them. You talk to the offensive linemen, hey, which young guys are impressing you? His name comes up quite a bit. Uh, it's going to be more of a rotation, as we've talked about. This Definitely. whole offseason. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you're, last year, uh, a lot of those, a lot of the D-linemen played just unbelievable number of snaps. Uh, Kafavalu and Jordan Carroll. Yeah, Jordan Carroll played, I mean, I think Jordan Carroll played the most snaps on the defense almost. That's pretty unheard of for a D-lineman. And you mentioned Lang as another wild card there coming in. Uh, yeah, we'll see. George Frazier as well. We talked about him. Moving to outside linebacker, this is a spot that has a lot of depth. Uh, Derek McCartney, of course, the, the main guy there. And I think you'd expect NJ Follow to be his backup. Yep, I think both of them will play a good amount. Uh, I actually thought NJ progressed a lot last year. He was pretty solid for me by the end of the season. Um, playing a little bit of that buff backer type role. With Ryan Moeller, I don't think they'll use him specifically there, but uh, he did a good job replacing McCartney at times, too. Needs to get a little bit thicker, I think, but um, he seemed to get more comfortable in the defense flying around a little bit more in the second half of last season, so that was nice. Obviously, Derek McCartney kind of makes this whole machine go. If he's healthy, playing well, the defense looks a whole lot better. I mean, we talked about how good that defense was last year. 
if you have Derek McCartney healthy the whole season, I mean, that defense would have been really, really, really special. Yeah. Michael Matthews, Shamar Hamilton, Taron Hasselback, all juniors that in there as well. Sam Benian working that rust off after the mm-hmm. mission. That said, I think Dante Sparacco could maybe be their third most talented outside backer. Yeah, he... We all know how I feel about Sparacco. I think he has a chance to be a first-round pick, honestly. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how he develops. I just love his frame. I mean, to be... To just... See what he looks like as an 18-year-old kid is just incredible to me. Yeah. And Jim Jeffcoat swore to me on signing day that Jacob Callier is going to play outside linebacker. I'm sorry, I don't see it. He's a hand-in-the-ground guy. Yeah, I agree. But for now, I mean, if the coaches are telling me he's an outside backer, i got to put him in that group, I guess, right? Yeah. What about uh, Chase Newman, another true freshman? He's got a red shirt. Yeah, he's got a red shirt. Not, not a guy who's ready for this level size-wise, I don't think, but um, good speed. Should be interesting to watch him develop. At inside backer, we've talked a lot about, again, hate to regurgitate a lot of the same stuff, but the depth there is scary unless these true freshmen are just ready to go from day one, which is asking a lot at this level. Rick Gamboa, the quarterback of this defense, and Drew Lewis, who I know, Tyler, you're a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like him. I think he has a chance to be our best linebacker this year. Um, he'll, he has a chance to make a lot of big plays. He's just his size at the inside linebacker position is so rare. Uh, mostly, he's he's a taller guy. I think he has a chance to, and especially in pass coverage, make life for quarterbacks a little bit difficult because he he can get to some of those crossing routes that I mean, like a Rick Amboa, for example, is just not. He's he's gonna they're gonna be open. Drew Lewis. Is gonna probably have some tip balls, um, have some success, you know, rushing up the gut, caught making life difficult for a quarterback because he takes up a lot of space. Yeah, Akil Jones is somebody that we're both high on, but you just keep hearing that his work ethic isn't there, which is mm-hmm. disappointing. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, I really liked him in camp last year. Thought he, um, you know, he's attacks the ball, attacks the line of scrimmage, um, has a good physical burst. But yeah, I mean, if you're not working hard. You're not going to play on most football teams. So, Between Jonathan Van Deese, Nate Landman, and Carson Wells, two of those guys are likely going to play this season. I think the sleeper there is Nate Landman just because he's a quiet kid. Yeah, I would honestly say he, he would be my favorite to play only because Van Deese needs to get a little bit bigger, especially he's been hurt. He's had, a lot, he's had surgery multiple times this past year, hasn't had a chance to really get bigger physically. Um, and then Carson Wells is totally new position for him. Um, getting him comfortable in that role, I think, is going to take a little bit of a process. Landman is just kind of—he's ready. That this is what he was recruited to do from the beginning. So, um, I guess if I had to pick one, he's the most likely for me right now. I think Carson Wells will be an Addison Gillum-esque type player, but it's going to be in reverse. It's going to be once he develops a little bit mm-hmm. versus. Game one against CSU, flying all over the place, and everyone's yeah. asking, where did this kid come from? Yeah. Yeah, he's – Addison is better sideline to sideline than Carson is for sure, but straight line speed, uh, Carson Wells is going to surprise some people because he doesn't really look like he runs that way. And then all of a sudden you get him up to full speed, and you're like, wow, this kid can really get up and down the field. At cornerback, of course, Isaiah Oliver is the stud there. And you've got a really interesting position battle happening on the other side. Trey Udofia seemed to have a very slight lead over Anthony Julmese at the end of spring ball. Dante Wigley comes in as a junior college guy. You don't know when the light's going to maybe turn on for him. And Kevin George is a junior college guy they're bringing in that 
really blew up his freshman season. He wasn't yeah, even one, a starter at the JUCO level. One of the guys game. on the staff that we talked to around signing day said they think he has a chance to be the best of all of them. That would surprise me, but um, he definitely fits the frame for what McIntyre likes to do in the secondary. Um, yeah, Wiggly's seemed like he wasn't quite as ready as we thought he might be um, in spring ball. So we'll see how that plays out. But I feel like the depth there is really solid. Like you, you have you feel pretty good about any of those guys playing in various parts of the game. So you got to feel good about that at least. Yeah, you bring in Chris Miller, another guy that other schools were trying to poach late in the process. Really talented athlete. He, I think he plays bigger. He played bigger than his size in high school. But you're going to need to put some armor on him in terms of muscle mm-hmm. redshirting this year. And Ronnie Blackman is part of that group, and he stands out because he doesn't stand out physically. He's right. shorter, right? He mm-hmm. just doesn't fit into the mold. But as a nickel on past, past situations, I think he's going to be on the field probably, yeah. I, I would guess, 150 to 200 snaps Yeah, and he's not afraid by any stretch. Uh, I mean, he's kind of reminds me a little bit of Ch- uh, Chappelle Brown in that mold. Like, he's, he's going to come up and tackle you. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously not going to blow you up, but Chappelle Brown was, I mean, he was very solid tackler, especially coming up on bubble screens and things like that. Uh, Ronnie Blackman, I think, will remind some people of him a little bit. Yeah, the question there, and the reason I kind of cap it at 150 to 200 is this new buff backer position that yeah, he's like. Yeah, you're not playing as many nickel. I mean, you don't have a Cheeto, right? That's They used the nickel because they could put Cheeto out there anytime they wanted to make plays the first three years of his career. So they're just kind of playing to the strengths of the defense, I think, right now, which makes sense. At safety, or some of these guys you talk about as buff backers too, you have Ryan Moeller, Afalabe Laguda, Nick Fisher, kind of your core group there, and then Evan Worthington? Yeah, switch the name up on us. From Evan White. Yeah. Is it Evan Worthington? i got to double-check that. I think so. But the artist formerly known as White. Yeah, it is Worthington. Yeah, I'm gonna have that's gonna take some getting used to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we were talking about a guy for three years under a different name. I thought didn't Treshawn Fletcher do that too? Treshawn was something with a D. He changed it though right before he got on campus, uh, so it was easier to do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, his like he was recruited, and then one day his name was different. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. But anyways, so. Foe, we know, is going to lay the wood. He's going to be a leader there. Mm-hmm. As we talk about in our top offs countdown, which you'll see, the question just comes down to how much he improves as a pass, in pass coverage. Yep. Yeah, I mean, honestly, 90% of the time he was fine in pass coverage. He's not the speediest guy in the world, but you just can't get beat over the top if, if that's your limitation. You know, if, you, if someone gets ahead of you and, you know, makes a couple third downs here and there, extends a drive, fine, that's one thing. But you can't allow guys to have 40, 50-yard plays over the top of you. Ryan Muller, we expect to see close to the line of scrimmage, which is great for him because pass coverage was kind of the deficiency in his game as well, but that gets mitigated when you get up line closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and he's a menace up there. Uh, just uses this slight frame, for lack of a better term. He kind of gets around guys. is difficult to grab a hold of to get blocks. Um, I re- he, just, he does a great job on the edges. Um, he's just a, one of those players that you just love to have in your program. Can't really figure out exactly what it is that he does. He's always in the right spot. Puts his head in there. You know, physical guy. He's fun to watch. Lack of depth kind of comes in here, too. If, if a Nick Fisher or a foe goes down and you have to move that buff backer, you could run into some problems there. They don't. They have one scholarship underclassman at safety, and he's a true freshman, Isaiah Lewis. Yeah, yeah. That's why they seem to be bringing in a couple of JUCO guys that they think maybe could play safety for them this cycle. They're looking at safety pretty heavily in this upcoming class, so trying to shore that up. 
Jason Sanchez, Kyle Trego, two juniors that really haven't heard a whole lot of buzz about, to yeah, be honest. Sanchez missed last year injury. Uh, Trego played a little bit last year uh, late in games, definitely as a special teams guy. So, I mean, I think they, you know, as your fifth or sixth best safety, I think they feel good about him there. You just don't really want him to be starting games. Could you potentially in a emergency situation put Wiggly or Joel Meese at safety? Yeah, Wiggly for sure. I mean, he's kind of what his deal is, is he's a physical guy. I mean, I think his um, athleticism is what's concerning a little bit at corner, but at safety, I think he fits right in. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if he ends up getting full-time moved over there. What are your expectations for Nick Fisher this year? It's tough to say. I mean, physical gifts are all there. He had a couple huge games when he was given minutes. I think maybe he'll start a little bit slower, um, but I could see him being a guy who's top three or four on the team in tackles, the lat the second half of the season as he gets comfortable. Place kicker. Who knows, man? Just put one in the uprights for me. That's all I ask. Kick it out of bounds on kickoffs or at least, you know, into the end zone. James Stefano doesn't have the experience of place kicking in front of crowds, but I do like the fact that he's got that professional soccer experience mm-hmm. because so much of being a successful place kicker, as we've seen at CU, is what's going on between the years. It is, yeah. I mean, soccer's so different, though. It's not like you, you, when you're kicking a soccer ball, it's going in to a net, but there's so much other things going on around you, you're not really focused in on the crowd. Like when, As a place kicker, everybody is watching you. Yeah. So I think it's a little okay. bit of a different experience. But, I mean, just being an athlete, you have to have the right mentality there. So I like that aspect of it. And being 60 years old, you have yeah. that life experience, too. Uh-huh. Exactly. You think Davis Price has got a, a future? I mean, I don't mind. I mean, he's not the greatest kicker I've ever seen, but I think he's better than Chris Graham. If, if, we're, if we're between those two guys, I'd rather see Davis Price out there. What you'd hate to see is what they had to do last year, and it's – Demoting a kicker every other kick. Yeah, that no no one's no one's successful that way. Like every time you miss, you get benched. That's not. But they had to do it honestly last year at times. It was just they're obvious. all missing. Just play one. But the <laughs> weird thing is when they would bench the one kicker, the other one would come in and make it and give them money. <laughs> give them money. <laughs> that was bizarre. I don't like anything about that whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> Punter Alex Kinney. Pretty pretty good the second half of his freshman year, and then I mean he was sophomore awful last year. So I mean he obviously needs to improve. That it was just a weird deal because he was so talented. I mean even in warm like practice now, it seems like he's got so much talent, but it just did not come together at all last year. It's the slight delay between when he gets the snap and gets the punt off that concerns you the most. Uh, long snapper. Do we have a battle brewing between JT Bale and Devin Noth from Valor Christian coming in? No idea. My favorite thing about the long snapper is that we haven't had to talk about them in a game in forever. That's good. Which means you're doing your job. (laughs) Thad Gleason is a walk-on long snapper. Perfect. So. (laughs) It, It is funny, though, when they had the open practices, you have so much time to analyze every position. I miss knowing who Thad Gleason is. He's just a name on a on a pipeline to me. Yep, yep. You just want to watch him and be like, "Wow, look at that snap!" <laughs> get that, get out the the, the stopwatch. Third watch. string long snapper is ready to go. What are we uh, filling the gaps for me here, Tyler? What, what have we not talked about? 
Oh, man. I feel like we talked about everything we know. Yeah. Yeah, I I just think overall this is a team that probably is a little bit underrated nationally, I guess. A lot of people expect us to be pretty bad compared to last year and we'll lose a lot of of NFL talent. And I will say we don't have a ton of NFL talent in the upperclassmen ranks this year. But the depth, the size, and the speed of this team is, I mean – way above anything else we've seen from the last 10 years from Colorado outside of last year, in my opinion. I can guarantee you one thing. This team will not be as successful with its coin tosses this year. Yes, yeah, that seems that seems likely for sure. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to take Cepho Lufau's lead that tails never fails and just roll with that all season. I mean, yeah, they should. I mean, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't matter to me, I guess. Like, who gets the ball first? They deferred pretty much every but it was time, just, I know, but it was just fun for that team because our defense was so right. good. So you would just put the other team on the field. They'd go three and out pretty much every game. And it's just like, yeah, set the tone. Real quick, before we get out of here, we've talked long enough. we got to touch on a little basketball news. Of course, Derek White, Josh Scott, Spencer Dinwiddie all participated in the NBA Summer League. I think Eskia did too, right? I didn't see his name. On, on the roster. Oh, okay, yeah. Someone, I thought someone told me that he... I didn't watch, see him play at any point, but someone did say that he was on a team, too. I only saw Derek White play against the Celtics, and he actually should have had, like, 10 assists, but they kept missing easy shots when he passed He was... Them. I mean, everybody is raving about him. I mean, He shot under 40%. Yeah, he field. hasn't shot the ball well, yeah. but that's... I mean, most that's how most rookies are, you know? You're, the court is bigger, the three-point line is farther away. It's all a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, he did average um, 15 points a game. Yeah, he was getting to the... The one thing I was concerned about is, is he going to be able to get to the rim like he did in college? And he was doing a great job of that. Um, solid jumpers, especially at the mid-range level. Um, and he just runs the offense extremely well. I mean, everybody, all the announcers and stuff, is like, this kid just has an incredibly smooth game. I forget who it was they were interviewing um, for the last game that I was watching. But it was a current NBA player. And he was just like, yeah, I love this kid. I've been watching him play. Because he's got a, he's got a college buddy on the Spurs summer league team too, and he's just like I've been getting a lot of chance to watch Derek White. I think he's going to be one of the best rookies in the NBA this year. Portland makes it to the championship game of the Vegas summer league, but Josh got playing less than ten minutes a game. It it just doesn't seem like the NBA is going to be in the cards for him. Yeah, it doesn't. I, he's played more this year than the past summer league experience he had, though. So I mean, he's making improvements. His game does cater to where the NBA is kind of going. Stretch four type of guy, can play a little bit of defense, not going to be a you know, back-to-the-basket mauler. Um, so I think that helps him a little bit if he can continue to develop a more comfortable shot, maybe out to the three-point line in the corners. He might have himself a chance because he's really long, but he's not going to be a guy who makes it to the NBA for a long time, I don't think. But I am surprised by how little interest he had in Europe that first year. I mean, he he's a guy who I think could play in the highest league of Europe and be really successful. Dinwiddie averaged almost 12 points a game for Brooklyn. It mm-hmm. seems like they like him. They there. like him a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's got a guaranteed deal now. So uh, they did make a trade that um, is going to make it a little bit tougher for him to get minutes this year. So that's a little bit disappointing. But um, he's been impressive, and he's kind of got a similar style game to Derek White. Controlled tempo, pretty good passer, can guard a little bit, get to the hole. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's got a couple more years of NBA playing time in his, to go for him at least. And lastly, Team Colorado wins their first two games in the TVT. Marcus Hall scores 56 total points. Chris Copeland, 45 total points in their first two games. And the encouraging thing here 
is they're going to get some guys like Josh Scott, Xavier Silas back, you know, to add to the roster. And they win their first game by 29, their second game by 16, really not even playing all that well. Yeah, the second game I thought they played pretty well offensively for sure. Defensively, it was not a great showing. Watching Chris Copeland on that half is pretty entertaining. <laughs> like, I get that he's a He looks stud. a little out of shape. Yeah, I just don't think he cares, which is fine. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like TBT, but he doesn't need the $2 million like a lot of these other guys do. Yeah. He's got NBA contracts behind him, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it's been a little interesting to watch him. Um this it has reminded me how much I did not enjoy watching Marcus Relford play basketball when he was here. He is an adventure, um, so that's been fun. Austin Dufault, too. But it's just good to see the guys together and playing. I mean, they have a very good team. Actually, I was looking at the roster from some of the other. There's some studs in this tournament. Like There are legitimately talented teams. Like A lot of former NBA guys, the, um, the Ohio State team. That's on our half of the bracket is really talented. I mean, they got some guys who were very, very good college players, seven or eight of them. John Diebler is probably their best player. They had Dallas Lauderdale, guy who was a good player for them in college too. So, uh, and Jared Soldier is on that team. Like that's, yeah. So, I mean, like they have legitimate talent. I mean, it's going to be, once it gets to like the final eight or uh, final four or whatever it goes down to, um, I mean, there's going to be some guys that a lot of casual basketball fans have heard of, which is it's fun. a good product from yeah. uniforms down to the even the mm-hmm. play-by-play guys were decent. You you wouldn't think streaming on ESPN three you're going to get much, mm-hmm. but the guys really did their homework. It's it's a it's a cool deal. Yeah, once it's on ESPN, it's like legitimate guys that you've heard of. Fran yeah. Fran Fraschilla always does the play-by-play for the Final Four, I think, which is cool. This just further emphasizes to me though how hard it is to make it in the NBA. Oh, the Marcus Hall. Can't make it in the NBA as good as he looks. I mean, he's 31. That's the problem, right? I mean, what NBA team is going to take a flyer on a 31-year-old guy? Wasn't Chris Copeland about that age when he Well, how did that work out, though, if we're being honest? Like, he got that big deal and never played again. It it just doesn't normally work out, you know, to bring those guys. But, I mean, yeah, he was was a 28-year-old rookie and had that big rookie season, got $7 million deal, and never really played much again after that. So it's kind of... My point, I mean, it's frustrating because it's a Colorado guy, so I don't want to like hate on him. It's his story was incredible to have done that, uh, but it's just you know, I mean, it's just tough. Like, do I think maybe he could be a thirteenth guy on a on a roster? Maybe, but what's the point? I mean, you, you're going to have a guy who's similar in talent who's twenty who you're trying to develop. You can play him in the D League, or you have a thirty-one year old Marcus All. Like, it's tougher in NBA to legitimize making that decision. I think. All right, well, you got to get to work. My stomach is grumbling, so I'm going to get some food. Have a good time in Montana. I'm going to be hanging out by the beach in Oregon for a couple of days before camp starts, which opens the door for more commitments. Seemingly, every time I go on vacation I'm, and am out of pocket, that results in commitment. So yeah, you're like welcome, CU fans. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to get some. I, had, I was gone for a vacation last time when a couple dropped as well. So I've been on vacation this whole summer, it sounds like. And by vacation, I mean showing up at weddings. Not sure that counts. <laughs> Well, the next time you're going to hear from us, we'll be in the camp. We'll actually have some football to talk about. So that'll be exciting. Thanks for tuning in.